Welcome to the Castling Academy podcast, where we explore the topics that matter most in healthcare and radiology, featuring thought leaders who are defining the future of imaging practice and leading transformation in patient care. Brought to you by Castling, an advanced partner of Siemens Health and Ears. Hello, and welcome to the Castling Academy podcast. I'm Mark Costanzo here with Dr. Mike Friel, who's an associate professor and program director for Bellevue University's Master of Health Administration and Bachelor of Healthcare Management programs in the College of Arts and Sciences. Dr. Friel has a professional background in healthcare, as well as experience in corporate organization and employee development. He has served in several healthcare roles in the clinical and academic fields. He's also a member of the American College of Healthcare Executives and serves on the Education Advisory Board for the Nebraska Hospital Association. He earned his PhD in human resource development from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, where he researched emotional intelligence in clinical nurses. He has authored several publications on emotional intelligence and leadership and presented on various healthcare and leadership topics for local and national conferences. Dr. Friel, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. So let's just start off with telling me a little bit about yourself and how you got interested in leadership development. Well, we don't have a lot of time, so... Uh, I came up on the clinical side. I was a transplant coordinator for uh, about eight or nine years uh, in Nebraska. Uh, and during that time, I started to get my master's in health education. Uh, so some of the topics around leadership were interesting to me. Uh, and then uh, after I received my master's, uh, I went on and, and got my PhD in human resource development, which was a focus on leadership and organizational change. And, and it was at that time where I, I really uh, got into the topics of leadership. I was able to kind of customize my program to focus more on the leadership side. Uh, and through that, uh, as you mentioned, I uh, got interested in emotional intelligence. And uh, uh, since uh, I was kind of heavy on the clinical side there, I, I looked at emotional intelligence in nurses. Uh, I, in a nutshell, didn't really find anything uh, nothing tr intriguing with my results, but the one thing that I did find was that uh, clinical nurses had higher levels of emotional intelligence than other industries like research or sales uh, or even clergy. Uh, so that leads us to the question, did uh, nurses get into the field because they have high emotional intelligence or did they develop their emotional intelligence because they got into nursing? So that's a, that's a follow-up research project down the road. Okay. So tell me a little bit. I'm interested in that leap from clinical work to this leadership research component. So how did you, was it something you always intended to pursue or is it something you decided to pursue once you got into the clinical world oh, I, and sort of? Yeah, I think like a lot of people, we fall into positions and we fall into the things that, that we find most interesting. I, I never set out to, um, you know, to be as focused on leadership as I am. Uh, you know, back then I was totally focused on the clinical side and I was looking at clinical opportunities. But it was through my education that uh, uh, I, I started to get interested in leadership and then uh, doing more education uh, for hospitals on the transplant side is really what got me introduced to working with hospitals and talking about leadership topics. And so as I started to gain more knowledge uh, and experience about leadership, it seemed to coincide with the education that I was doing 
uh, for those hospitals. Uh, and then as I transitioned into different roles after transplants, um, I found myself in academic institutions where I was even more focused on talking about leadership. And so when I uh, left uh, the transplant business, I, I went to uh, uh, Nebraska Methodist College, uh, where I was a chair of certificate programs there for a while. Uh, so again, immersed in uh, in education, immersed in leadership, and uh, continued. Well, I, I guess that's where I really started to do some public speaking on on leadership topics, and uh, really enjoy it. And it's something that interests me. And uh, you know, I, I had a colleague uh, uh, who who told me a long time ago. He said you make time for the things that you really enjoy doing. And I really enjoyed it. And, and uh, you know, while I was doing everything else, that was something that really kept me motivated and engaged in those positions that I had. And, uh, and now I just, I love talking. I'll talk your ear off talking about leadership. So, <laughs> Please do. Um, yeah. So that's, I guess that's what we're going to do today. Yeah, definitely. Now, and how did emotional intelligence sort of enter your sights um, as you were going through It that? didn't. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's a funny story. I remember I was looking for a dissertation topic, getting my PhD. And uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do from a research standpoint, which I really support gra- uh doctoral students who get into their programs, if you know what it is you want to do when you start off, why are you doing it? You know, give, your chan- give yourself a chance to evolve and to explore some topics and then find something that interests you and pursue that. Don't go into it thinking that you know exactly what you want to do because I think you're selling yourself short that way. So I remember the room I was in. I remember where I was sitting. I remember the table, the chairs, the walls. They were white. Uh, and it was like a lightning bolt hit me. Uh, I was in one of my classes, and we were talking about emotional intelligence, and I said, this really sounds interesting to me. This is something that I want to pursue. Um, And so I started looking at emotional intelligence and going down the road that I thought was appropriate for doing some research. And I had an advisor at the time who said, you know, I, I seem to recall that there's another approach to emotional intelligence. Uh, I think you should investigate it a little bit more. And I'm glad he said that because there's really two models of emotional intelligence. I was going down what's called uh, a, uh, a mixed methods model uh, or uh, a mixed model of emotional intelligence, which is great. And, and organizations that do development on those topics uh, are, are really doing a service for their employees. And a lot of organizations do that. But I pursued what's called an ability model of emotional intelligence. It's much more sound as far as the research goes. Uh, and it's really based in people's ability to identify and use emotions and gather emotional information to make decisions. And so that's what I based my uh, research on, and that's really where I base my uh, consulting and coaching on, uh, is on that ability model. Cool. Can you be a good healthcare leader without being necessarily emotionally intelligent? Or is that a critical component if you really want to excel in leadership? Everybody's got different levels of emotional intelligence. Uh, In the ability model, there's four different uh, skills. Everybody has different degrees of effectiveness when it comes to those skills. Um, So I think that the more successful leaders are able to recognize and use the, the emotional information that's available to them Uh, and I think they're able to problem-solve and make decisions based on that. Um, These are the folks that um, 
you know, when, when, when you come into work, uh, usually you're told, you know, you have to leave your emotions at work, at, at, at home. You don't bring that stuff to work. But you know what? The, we bring that stuff to work, and it makes us who we are. It makes us the employees we are. And effective leaders are able to identify that emotional information and lead using a lot of different emotional information to, to make decisions, to problem solve, to be creative, to be compassionate, to be empathetic. It's, it's out there. It's free information, too. You just have to know what you're looking at. Definitely. I mean, I would imagine even if as much as we try to compartmentalize what's going on in our personal lives and what we had happened before we mm-hmm. walked through the doors of a workplace, we're still carrying that in. And then you talk about healthcare, which is this emotionally dynamic place anyway, where right. with extreme highs and lows, you have to be able to understand what your people are going through. Yeah, Mark, through. So, so flip it around. So if you're a, a, a rad tech and you've had an incredibly stressful day uh, and you know the, the, the beds are lined up down the hallway and you're just trying to get everything done, not only are you bringing emotions with you to work, you're taking them home too. Mm-hmm. And I think people who are a little more emotionally intelligent recognize that how they think, uh, how they feel is all affected by these things. And our moods uh, are, are one way of uh, looking at that. Uh, moods are really sustained emotions. Um, if you're happy and you're happy over a long period of time, you, you might experience joy. Um, and the opposite's true too. So we have to recognize that, that employees take that home with them as well. Is that a pretty big blind spot for some healthcare leaders, or are there other big blind spots? And then sort of following off of that, if a healthcare leader has identified maybe a blind spot that they have, how do they go about fixing right. that in themselves and on their team? Well, it, by blind spots, I think you mean that there are some identifi- unidentified skills or unidentified deficiencies in in what they do or they do not have as far as knowledge and skills. Emotional intelligence, I mean, it's not a common topic that people just go out and learn about. I mean, uh, one thing that Castling's done really well is brought emotional intelligence to the forefront over the last year, and we've had a few talks on it, and not just myself, but other other folks and other educators as well. Um, So I I think that can be a a blind spot in that People don't always recognize the emotional information that's out there. Um, it's also a, a very advanced kind of leadership topic. Uh, and I love talking about emotional intelligence. And, and for as much as I like talking about emotional intelligence, I also have to remember that we have to be grounded in certain skills and behaviors in order to be effective leaders. So when I think of blind spots, the first thing that comes to mind to me is uh, performance management. And how do you keep people doing the great things that they're doing? And how do you keep them, stop them from doing all that silly stuff that they've been doing and tell them, don't do that, don't do that. And they keep doing it. Well, why does that happen? Uh, So a basic understanding of performance management, I think, is critical in order to be an effective leader. Uh, You can combine that with a lot of different other skills and behaviors. But I really think that holding people accountable and getting the best work from people while also making sure that they're satisfied and engaged in what they're doing, that's a critical competency. How do you improve that? I mean, especially, say you're a new healthcare leader coming onto a team where that hasn't maybe been the best in that yeah. particular organization. How do you go, even go about that? You know, a lot of times I hear uh, symptoms rather than problems. Okay. And uh, 
a lot of times I will hear, you know, Friel, you've got to come in. You've got to do a session on, on motivation because our people just aren't motivated. And I'll look them in the eye and say, you know what? Motivation is not your problem. Motivation is a symptom mm-hmm. of a bigger problem. Let's find out what that is. Let's look at that together and figure out why are you seeing some of these motivation issues. And the thing about performance management, and a lot of leaders, they don't like to hear this, but uh, it's not really the employee's behavior, the employee's performance that we're talking about. We're talking about the leader. Mm -hmm. Leaders have to understand how do you engage employees to get the best performance. Um, So there's there's lots of examples of this, but, uh, you know, I'll I'll use something very simple. Uh, So, Mark, you, you come in at Uh, You're supposed to be here at 8 o'clock in the morning, and you've been coming in at 8.15. No one said anything. It's pretty accurate. Yeah, (laughs) 8.30. I saw you roll in today at 9. So, But no one said anything to you. Mm -hmm. I mean, in in your head, it must be okay because no one said anything about it. Mm -hmm. In my head as the leader, I'm like, why is he coming in so late? Doesn't he know that he's supposed to be here at 8 o'clock? And so... Really, when it comes down to accountability, it's it's my job as a leader to make sure that you understand that you need to be here at 8 o'clock in the morning. And if you're not, there needs to be a conversation or eventually some consequences for not doing that. So uh, in performance management, we often talk about gaps, uh, where I want you to perform and where your actual performance is. So in this case, I want you to perform at a certain level, but you're not. And so we have a gap. Uh, what I want to do is try to alleviate or remove that gap so that we are on the same page. And you can fill in the blank with any task, topic, outcome, performance metrics, standard, whatever you want. Uh, but if there's a gap, most of the time it's, it's up to the leader to ensure that that gap is at a minimum. And, and at best, you flip-flop it so the employee is performing above your expectations. That's what you really want to see. That's awesome. I just want to mention quickly, too, that a lot of these things we've touched upon, you have done entire Castling Leadership Institute webinars on these topics. There's one on performance management. Mm -hmm. There's one on emotional intelligence. And there's a couple others out there as well. We've talked conflict. We've talked change. We've talked a lot about critical competencies for effective leaders throughout the Castling Leadership Institute. And it's been a hoot. I mean, we have yeah. a lot of we have a lot of fun talking about this. And because uh, from an education standpoint, no one wants to sit and listen to me lecture for a couple hours. I mean, that, I, I wouldn't even stand for that. But when we get together, we have a lot of conversations and discussions about what is effective leadership. And I think participants learn a little bit from me, but they learn just as much from everybody else. Yeah. And that's what's interesting. Now, now I'll, I'll tell you, Castling is, is one of the organizations that gets it. They understand the value of development. And what I like is that when, when I walk into Castling here, you can see it. You can see the positive culture. It's on the walls. It's, it's in how you're greeted at the door. It's how people interact. They, they oh, I, I saw, I saw Friel, so I'm going to go say hi. Uh, you know, I love it. And not every organization is like that. And, and I think we have to understand that um, cultures drive this. And, and one of the reasons I like working with Castling is because you wear your culture out on your sleeve. Uh, it's there for everybody to see and it's positive. Well, thank you. Well, I definitely really appreciate that. That's something we pride ourselves on. I would disagree with you on one point. I probably could listen to you talk for a couple <laughs> hours. <because laughs> no, you don't want to. This is awesome. Uh, 
kind of flipping, we talked about gaps a little bit, kind of flipping that the other way. What are some of the most important traits of a healthcare leader? That's Not a great weaknesses, question. but strengths. Yeah, traits. Now, this this is such an important question, and I hope uh, people will pay attention to this because actually using that language with regard to traits, traits have absolutely nothing to do with leadership. Okay. And the research supports that. Traits do not equate to effective leadership. So let's take this a next step. It doesn't matter what you look like. That's a trait. It doesn't matter. Uh, What matters is what you do. What matters are behaviors. Leadership is all about human behavior. If you know a little something about human behavior, you can be a better leader. But with traits, now, they don't equate to effective leadership, but yet they are involved. Uh, One of the examples I'd give is, uh, you know, let's say that you are an introvert. That's just how you are. That's that's a trait. Mm -hmm. Uh, And a lot of people might be familiar with the uh, Myers-Briggs trait-based assessments or Kiersey trait-based assessments. There's lots of them out there. Um, And they try to label you uh, based on how you score on an assessment. But those are traits. Whoops. One thing you have to do as a presenter is remember to turn your phone off. It's all good. Um, That's embarrassing. No, you're good. You're good. if you are, let's say you are an introvert, uh, being an introvert and how you look as an introvert has nothing to do with leadership, nothing. But it has something to do with how you prefer to behave. So if you're an introvert, maybe you lead in a more uh, quiet kind of manner versus an extrovert who might be a little more uh, out there. Uh, and gregarious and, and energetic. And uh, you just, ha- it doesn't mean that you can't be that. It just means that you prefer to lead a little differently. Uh, so uh, traits are involved with leadership, but you really can't equate traits to effective leadership. Uh, but if you look at, take it a step further, what are the behaviors? What are some of the key behaviors of effective leadership? Uh, I, I think there's a few key behaviors that, that people need to know. The first is probably going to be conflict. How to deal with conflict. Um, without a doubt, that's probably the number one issue that I hear when I do workshops is what concerns you about being an effective leader? And the ability to deal with conflict or working with conflict is always going to be number one. Is the people afraid of conflict? or Again, people have different preferences okay. for how they like to deal with conflict. Uh, and even emotional intelligence can come into play with this as well. But uh, if you only have uh, basic conflict skills and, and you're in a, a healthcare organization as a leader, you're going to need to improve those skills. Conflict is everywhere, uh, you know, in, and you can't get away with it, away from it. Um, communication skills is another, uh, and being an effective communicator is critical. Um, problem solving. Uh, is critical and creativity. I'll throw that in there as well. Uh, especially in healthcare anymore, we cannot keep doing things the same way we've always done them. The worst thing that you can say to me is, and, and my my skin is already crawling here, but uh, we're going to do it this way because that's how we've always done it. Oh no, drives me <laughs> up the wall. Uh, I. As a leader, you can't be happy with the status quo. You should always be striving to improve your your own performance or performance of your department or your organization. 
doing things the same way that we've always done them is not going to get you where you need to go. Mm -hmm. uh, effective leaders are able to challenge uh, those assumptions, and they continuously look at how they can do things better. Um, you know, in, in healthcare, we're, we're tasked with doing thing, doing more with less. So if you're not getting creative, if you're not problem solving, if you're not engaging your your employees in that, uh, you're going to fall behind. And a lot of leaders think that um, since I'm the leader, I'm in charge of everything, and then every everything has to come from me. Uh, one of the fallacies is is that, or one of the mistakes, is that leaders neglect to share their leadership because they think if I share leadership, I'm going to lose it. The opposite is true. If you share leadership, you are going to become a better leader, and you're developing other leaders at the same time. You know, when when it comes to problem solving and creativity, chances are your employees will probably have a pretty good idea or or suggestions about how to do things differently. It's up to the leader to kind of vet those and, and discuss those and come up with solutions that are going to improve outcomes. Uh, and, and that's why that's so important. I think you're absolutely right on the willingness to embrace change is so important, especially in a field like healthcare that evolves so rapidly mm -hmm. where the landscape a year from now might look completely different because of a rule that CMS issues or new patient standards. So right. being willing to adjust on the fly is so critical. It is. And uh, if, if anybody's been in a, a workshop with me, they've heard this statistic before, but 70% of us don't like change. I'm one of those. Uh, but I've recognized and I, I know that about myself, so I'm able to deal with it a little bit differently. But uh, if 70% of us don't like change, and healthcare is changing on the fly almost daily, as a leader, you've got some issues you're going to have to deal with. You're going to have to create some buy-in. Everybody's heard about the cliche about getting on the bus, and you have to have the right people on the bus. Well, you have to have the right people in the right seat, and you have to have a driver who knows how to drive and knows where you're going, and he's got a map. And when we get to where we're going, boy, we sure hope that you're on the bus with us. But if you're not, it means that you left for some other reasons. And, and uh, uh, as leaders, we want to ensure that we get to where we're going with everybody that's going to be able to help us and assist us when we get there. How do you get those people that are kicking and screaming against change onto that bus? And especially if it's an organization that might be averse to change, how do you steer that conversation? Yeah, that, well, like I mentioned, communication is key. Uh, you've got to let people know what their role is and what the expectations are. Uh, and again, people might not want to go down that road on that bus with you, but you want them. You need them. They have that expertise and, and they have uh, the knowledge and skills. They have that tacit knowledge that is in their heads uh, that, you know, there's, you're not going to be able to get that out. Uh, they take that with them. Uh, so you need to create uh, some kind of, of buy-in or uh, importance of, why they need to be involved and, and how you need them and what their role is. Um, so the, the buy-in is one thing, and, and I, I almost don't like that term because it almost sounds a little coercive to me, but uh, you need people who have the expertise in order to help everything go smoothly. And you need to show them how their role is going to contribute to those improved outcomes. And you can't do that through an email. You know, you've got to get out and you've got to talk to somebody. And again, if you've been in one of my workshops, this is management by get your rear end out from behind your desk and go talk to people. And 
that's a, a, a critical skill when it comes to leadership, I think. Awesome. I want to switch gears a little bit on this particular bus. We've kind of talked about current leaders and their skills and how to manage people. I want to take a different approach. If somebody's in a tech or a specialist position right now and they want to make that switch and they want to evolve their career, how can someone make that leap? What would you suggest to that person who's wanting to go in a management or executive type? Sure. Role? You know, we, we call them career ladders for a reason. Uh, and we're stepping up and up and up on those career ladders. We want to advance. Uh, and now a lot of people want to advance, not everybody. Um, but I really enjoy seeing people and talking to people who are interested in advancing and they take the initiative first. Uh, they go to their supervisor, they go to their boss and say, you know what, I'm, I'm interested in advancing my career in this field or for this organization. Uh, how might I do that? And they, so they start off with taking the initiative to have that conversation. A lot of times it involves uh, special education or, or training uh, in order to do that. And I am completely on board with that, of course. Um, first off, it, it needs to be the right program for them. It needs to be aligned with what their career goals and their personal interests are. Uh, and they need to take those steps in order to get that education or, or uh, training. Um, I tell everybody, and, and I get calls all the time from potential students, they say, I know I'm thinking about taking your program and, and uh, uh, can you give me any, any advice? And the number one piece of advice I can give them is there is never a good time to go back to school. There is always something that's going to get in the way, whether it's job or kids or family or whatever it might be. Uh, What it takes is pulling the trigger and doing it. Mm -hmm. You know, take that initiative, take those first steps and start. And then once you start, you keep your head down and you stay focused and you get through it. Getting an advanced degree opens doors. And I've seen this over and over with, with students, especially graduate students. And they're like, well, I'm not sure what I'm going to do after I, I get my degree. And lo and behold, before they've even graduated, they contact me and say, you won't believe what just happened. I got promoted to such and such position, and now I'm doing this for this hospital or, or this clinic. And, and they love it because even approaching the end of their program, before graduation and after graduation, the doors are opening, mm-hmm. and it provides opportunity for people. Are hospitals look and healthcare systems as well looking for people that have those additional degrees now, maybe more so than even in the past? Uh, absolutely. Uh, they, they are looking for uh, the people with the credentials. Um, so they'll look at, at someone and say, okay, you've got MHA behind your name. You've got your master's degree. That's the first step. The other step is that, okay, now that I've recognized that you have a graduate degree, I'm going to put that to the side. That, that was your ticket in. Uh, now let's talk about what do you do. Mm-hmm. So now we're getting back to that leadership piece and that behavior piece about what do you do that makes you effective. And that's what they're interested in. They want to know what, it, what was your past experience? Uh, what have you accomplished? What are you most proud of? What did you uh, maybe get hung up on? Uh, what were some of the snags? Um, and that's what they're going to look for. The, the graduate degree will get you in the door, uh, and it's up to you to take it the rest of the way. But it's, it's really focused on you know, where are your interests, take the initiative to do those things. You mentioned MHA. So I know kind of the two big degrees in healthcare that you see a lot are MHA and MBA. What is 
the difference between the two and also is there one you recommend more than the other or can they both get you in the door depending on what that door is and what sure. the role is that you're looking yeah, for? Yeah, great question again. And, and there's a difference between an MHA and an MBA. Uh, the MBA is probably going to be more focused on the finance side. Uh, you're going to be taking more finance courses. You're going to be, become a, uh, more knowledgeable with regard to some of the intricacies of, uh, of finance. The MHA, on the other hand, will include finance, uh, but it's a much broader healthcare kind of degree. Uh, it's really looking at what the business side of healthcare. Uh, so in our program, we talk about leadership. Uh, we also have courses on human resources, uh, strategy and strategy development, um, the finance courses, health information technology. In all of these courses, it's, and I can speak for Bellevue, but our content is really leading edge. Uh, we don't rely so much on textbooks to convey content to students because if, Let's look at health information technology. Okay, it changed yesterday. What happened to that textbook that was published yesterday, uh, and is it current? Well, no. So we focus more on the current research and looking at professional organizations like HIMSS uh, to um, present the information to students because it's leading edge. It's always changing. Uh, so that's the focus of our program. Um, are, is the MBA better than the MHA? Again, I would leave that up to the to the student. I'm a little biased because I'm the director of the MHA program, <laughs> but uh, I, I think both degrees are very valuable. Uh, and any time that you can advance your knowledge and skills in uh, areas such as healthcare finance, uh, or uh, for an MBA student who might want to learn more about uh, health information technology and, and security, uh, which is a, a hot topic right now. Um, it, there is some overlap, um, but you can be effective and you can get hired with either. Is Are you seeing more clinical people go towards the MHA then? Totally comes down to what their ambitions are and what initiatives they want to take. Uh, I do see a lot of clinicians who want to get out of the bedside care. Uh, so they don't want to, they don't see themselves being a bedside nurse, for example. They don't see themselves taking x-rays for the rest of their career. Uh, they want to advance. They want to move into a management or leadership position uh, because, again, we're talking ladders. Uh, they want to move up. They want to step up uh, and, and maybe do some things that they haven't been able to do before. This provides opportunity for them. Awesome. As we wind down, what topics are you seeing have the most impact in healthcare right now? And specifically, what do today's leaders and even tomorrow's leaders need to be paying attention to at the broad level of what's affecting them? Well, I, I think right now we're looking at care delivery models and how do you get care to patients. Um, we're starting to see trends in, uh, well, in the Omaha area, you've seen uh, some pharmacies attaching the small clinics to the pharmacies. Um, in areas such as the south uh, of the U.S., uh, not only are they attaching clinics, but they're attaching big full-service clinics to those organizations, trying to creatively come up with some different ways for delivering care. Uh, we see uh, home health models. We're seeing telehealth, uh, which is becoming very prominent, and uh, most hospitals are 
if they haven't already implemented a telehealth program in, in some department or area, they're looking at it and they're looking at it heavily. Um, so care delivery is at the probably the top of the list, at least for me. That means that we have to have healthcare administrators and healthcare leaders who are able to think outside the box. Now that's a big cliche, but you can't do things the way you've always done them. You've got to be creative and you've got to think critically about how are the changes or how are the decisions you're going to make going to impact that care delivery down the road. Goes, and that's what we try to do. It goes right back to what you said about your willingness to change and you have to be willing to adapt to sure. changing times. And, and explore. And, and you know, th- that's something that uh, uh, we didn't mention today, but leaders need that certain level of uh, willingness to take risks. An entrepreneurial spirit, so to speak, that they are willing to go out and try something. That circles back to culture. Because do you work in a culture where mistakes are seen as an opportunity to cut heads or are mistakes seen as opportunities to learn and develop and grow and do something different? Um, most organizations want to take that, that second perspective, uh, and I hope they do. And if, if we're going to change healthcare, that's what we need. Awesome. Dr. Friel, this has been great. Is there anything you want to add that we haven't covered or just want to touch on or plug Bellevue University or the Castling Leadership Institute? I no, I appreciate the opportunity. No, Bellevue University has worked with Castling for a number of years, and, and we've uh, been privileged to help provide uh, the, the development for the Leadership Institute, and so I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, like I said before, Castling gets it. Uh, They know the value of development, and uh, I appreciate all your efforts and all your time uh, in, in helping to do that. Awesome. Well, thank you for being here. And if anyone has enjoyed this as much as I have, feel free to see more of Dr. Friel's great, vast wealth of knowledge at the Casting Leadership Institute. Visit bellevue.edu, I believe is the web handle, and just check out what's out there. There's a lot more great information where this came from. So thank you for being here. Thank you. Have a great day, everyone. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. This is one of many resources Castling provides to help you stay current on all things imaging. We hope you'll tune in again soon. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are the views and opinions of the guests, not necessarily those of Castling nor Siemens Health and Ears. This podcast is for informational purposes only.